This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hello and welcome to the Thanks for Sharing podcast. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. We uh, kind of been a whirlwind. We've had a lot of guests on the show. Yeah. Um, feels like it's been forever since we've done an episode that's just us, but I think it's only been two episodes, right? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, so um, we're we wanted to um, we wanted to talk about sexism today and why that relates to addiction recovery. Um, yeah. I think that's often a topic that uh, it's easy to get overlooked in our society. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's a head scratcher as to why I would need to look at that to have a complete recovery. Yeah. Well, and I think it's one of those, you know, with everything that's been in the news lately, just that has to do with sexism. Um, the, you know, Harvey Weinstein story just broke last week. And, and I, I find myself having myself, I said myself, like I'm two people. I find myself, <laughs> having conversations with people and we, we try to talk, and this has been with both men and women. We try to talk about the Harvey Weinstein thing and I want to have the conversation and I think they want to have the conversation, but we don't really even know what to say. Right. I think, um, I think sexism and situations like that are such a part of the fabric of our culture. Uh It's um, we're going to have Dan Griffin on the show next episode and he talks about how um we live in the water and because we live in the water we don't know what it is and i think sexism is one of those things like it's so hard to get your mind around yeah and to even we we see it all over the place um but to even start conversations around it i think is really really hard because it's what we're accustomed to right um what were you gonna say i was just gonna say one of the conversations i had you know somebody was saying we were just kind of like, why did this Harvey Weinstein story break now? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like it hasn't tried to come to the surface and come out into the light prior to now, you know, from, from a lot of the different stories, it sounds like a lot of people knew it's not like it was Mm -hmm. in the dark. I mean, there are some people who were like, I didn't know. And I feel that I didn't know. Right. I mean, there's just so many different angles with this particular story Um, and why did it finally come out now? I don't know. Right. Like why did the Bill Cosby story finally get the traction Mm -hmm. that it did when it did? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It did. I, I hope that it means that there's a sea change happening. Um, when, when we were at the SASH conference where we interviewed Rob Weiss, we went to lunch with Alex Kedhakis, who, Uh um, is brilliant. And, um, hopefully we're going to have her on the podcast soon too. Um, but she said she thinks that ugliness needs to bubble up in our society so that we can see it and we can do something about it. Yeah. Um, if we don't see it, it's impossible to change it. And um, my fear is, and, and this is what I told her, my fear is that it'll bubble up, but we're going to still refuse to see it like we yeah. have. This isn't a new thing. Right. That it that it bubbles up and it makes us uncomfortable and so we hurry mm-hmm. and push it back down mm-hmm. or we you know plaster over it or wallpaper over it so it, it looks a little prettier yeah yeah i think i um 
a, a reasonable comparison. Uh, Jackie and I both know someone from this country. Uh, they were with a, you know, racism is built into their history. And this person was talking about how as a nation, they had to come to terms with the fact that they're racist. It wasn't a matter of, um, can we fix it? It wasn't a matter of, does it really exist? It was, we're racist and we have to, we have to come to terms with that fact. Right. Um, and as a country, as they've started to come to terms with that fact, healing is starting to happen. There's still plenty of other problems in that country. Um, but this individual was saying to us, I've had to embrace that I'm racist. Right. Um, as much and not as embrace it not like, be. I can't help it, so I'm just acting in racist ways. Like, not right. that kind of embracing, but right. more of an embracing, like, I'm acknowledging this. It exists. It's a real yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and I think with any of the isms, isms racism, sexism, classism, um, any of those, if, if we don't see it, if we won't see it, it's uh-huh. certainly not going to change. Right. Yeah, I was thinking of... of um, I was thinking just this morning, I was making my bed and this came into my mind and I don't even know that I was thinking about what we were talking about on the podcast today, but I was, I was remembering this was maybe uh, the last time we had the summer Olympics. So what, two years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a story in the newspaper um, about Katie Ledecky and how she had like, mm. I think won gold or something like yeah, that. I remember that. And, and it was in the story you know, I mean, it, it made a headline in this paper, but the larger headline was something about Michael Phelps. And, and mm-hmm. it was like, and he had gotten like, in this particular race, I think he had gotten the bronze or like the silver or something like that. But it was bigger font, right? And, mm-hmm. and here she had also kind of broken some records and gotten this gold medal, but it was, it was just a smaller story like size-wise, even in the paper, the font was smaller on her than it was on Michael Phelps. And so I had posted on Facebook just a picture of that newsprint article, and I said, I feel like this captures a lot about how it feels to be a woman in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it blew up into this controversy that I was not expecting. And a lot of men like really, I mean, there was one, thank goodness, who was my neighbor and who actually like really took some time and thought about it. And he posted something on his, um, his Facebook, like two or three weeks later and was like, you know, my neighbor and he tagged me and up my neighbor, Jackie had said this and I've been thinking about it as a father of sons and daughters. I've really been thinking about this for weeks now. And then that thread really blew up and got ugly. Mm-hmm. And, and it was this, like, the, I mean, the one person who was also a neighbor, um, who was really offended by my original posting. And then the fact that this man brought it up again, was just like, he was just saying sexism doesn't exist anymore. And I'm so tired of women saying that it does. I mean, those weren't his exact words. Right. That was his message. And he was just like, why are you complaining? Like, I mean, you should be happy because really it's the Olympics is the only time that like we even care about female sports. And I was just like, well, you're proving my point. Like, right. 
except your point is that sexism doesn't exist, right? It was just, it was the weirdest, <laughs> it was the weirdest conversation. It got very heated. I ended up blocking the guy and then his wife got mad at me and emailed me and was like, I can't believe you blocked him. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm not responding to this email either. So there, but it's this, yeah, I think it's, you know, like, the idea that racism doesn't exist anymore in our country or that sexism doesn't exist, like we fix that mm-hmm. is the problem. Right. And it's I, with, with sexism, particularly um, by definition, it's typically uh, discrimination against women. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's not so much something that goes both way, although we could come up with examples of how it does work both ways, but uh, predominantly it's, men towards women. And, and I would even say like, as happens with any, um, I think traumatized or disadvantaged population, there's a lot of reinforcing that trauma woman to woman. Um, like we, we can see that in, um, you know, we can see that in advertisements. We can see that in products that women market towards women. We can see that in conversations that women have with each other is that acceptance um, of, I guess this is my place in the society. Um, and you know, they, it, so, so my, my point is, um, it's, it's primarily discrimination against women and that's something as men, we have to acknowledge, right. um, we have to own that. Well, um, any of the isms really have to do with people who have the majority of the power mm-hmm. misusing that power against somebody who has less power. Mm-hmm. And it's easy. I've, I've had a lot of conversations lately um, about my privilege. I'm a white heterosexual male. Um, so you hit all class. the, you, you hit all of the. Yeah. I have just about every kind of privilege that's possible to have. Um, and it's easy from my vantage point um, to think that everybody else has it the same way that I have. And everybody yeah. else has the same opportunities I have and they face exactly what I face. Or I would say in, in my case, they don't face what I don't face. Yeah. Um, or that, I mean, sometimes when we have these conversations about privilege, right, that somehow you being a white male heterosexual means that you had an easy life. Mm-hmm. And that's not what privilege means. No. It's just like you were saying that certain things, like you've never not gotten a job because of your last name mm-hmm. or I've, the color of your skin or the gender yeah. you have. Yeah. Um, I, I really can't think of any examples where I don't feel like I wasn't heard simply because I wasn't the right person speaking uh-huh. um, in, a, in a group of people. Um, so the question comes up for me, Jackie, and you talk about this a lot. Why do why do we need to address sexism in recovery? Like what, what does that do for a person in recovery to look at how they're sexist? I I mean, I, I think again, it's, it's always going to be an issue that gets you in, it gets in the way of how you're relational and how you connect with other people. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if, if the cliche is true that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, the opposite of addiction is connection, then we really need to be looking at what gets in the way of me connecting, right? What gets in the way of me being relational with somebody who's different than me? 
Yeah, and I, as you're saying that, it strikes me, I think that affects men's male-to-male relationships too. Um, mm-hmm. Sexism can get in the way of bonding there. I think sexism is a huge ingredient in um, like macho culture. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, even when we say, you know, crying is for girls or even men saying to each other, don't be such a bitch. Um, right. You know, there's that kind of denigration that really, um, I think when men do that outside of the company of women with each other, they're still limiting connection. Yeah. And they're still, um, I would say leading with hostility, um, which is going to make it really hard to feel safe and get connected. Well, and particularly if you're a heterosexual and so the primary intimate sexually intimate relationships you're going to have is going to be with somebody of the opposite gender. And a lot of your male conditioning has said that females are less than me. Mm-hmm. How do you have this partnership with somebody that you perceive as weak or less intelligent, less capable, less strong, mm-hmm. right? That's always going to get in the way of you really having a fully healthy partnership with your partner. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that brings up a point for me um, in the research of John and Julie Gottman, who as they research uh, marriages and publish their findings, they're pretty unapologetic about what the numbers say. Uh Um, And there's some of the findings that really challenge some conventional wisdom. And one of the findings they have, if you want to increase happiness in your marriage, uh, in your heterosexual marriage, the man needs to learn how to accept influence from the women, the woman, which means um, he needs to know that she has a voice and not just, okay, I heard you now I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, but it really needs to be this partnership. And when men can accept influence for women from women, that marriage is happier, but the statistics don't go the other direction. And I think, which is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of those realities about how sexism exists and who it exists with. Um, you know, men hold power, I think Uh inherently in, in relationships, that's the way our society is set up. And when they don't, uh, when they don't share it, I don't know of many um, women, regardless of what they believe, who even physiologically are going to feel safe and are going to feel secure when there's this imbalance of power um, yeah. or when there's this, I'm so glad he's treating me good today. I hope it lasts into tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that as women, we, we say to other women like, wow, I really have a good guy because he treats me so well. Like, mm-hmm. what? Like, sh- Wait, not a bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the basic beginning of anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's looked at as not the norm for men. Well, I, what does that say even about how we, how we view men, right? Like that's, I, and that's where I think sexism, it maybe most directly impacts women, but it definitely harms men. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that's, I think that's the other side of it is we have this, view of men who are oafish driven by their, their gonads, like um, not really much of a brain, like in, in the uh, religious community that I grew up in, the joke was, if we really want to get something done, we'll have the women do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, which it might've been funny the first time I heard it when I was 12, but to hear that repeated over and over again and to think, no, wait a minute, I'm a capable man. Like um, if, if we need to care for people, sure women are good at that men are good at that too like right. and and so i think uh, it's i think sexism is an in a lot of ways related to objectification it's taking someone who's really complex and really individual 
and reducing them down to one or two aspects of them um, to make them less scary, to make them less unpredictable. And sure, you can find examples in our society of the oafish man who is driven by his genitals. I mean, like you look at news headlines now, we have Cosby, we have the president, we have that senator who wanted his girlfriend, that pro-life senator who wanted his girlfriend to get an abortion. We have Harvey Weinstein. Like you can certainly find a... uh, an abundance of examples of men who are like that, but that's not representative of the whole gender. Just like with women, um, you know, you can find women who meet every stereotype of what a woman is supposed to be. And that's not representative of the whole gender. Right. Yeah. I I think it's um, just a couple of thoughts. I, I think, again, one of the reasons that we need to be talking about sexism in addiction recovery is because particularly for men, um, if if they're told right if they believe what's been told about them that one of the reasons that they're the more strong gender or that they're the better leader or whatever that is because they disconnect right because they're not led by emotions um they're not going to be able to connect with themselves mm-hmm. and so much of recovery really is about finding this connection with the self that then I can now use to be relational. Mm-hmm. And, and if they can't do that, what are we doing in recovery? Right. We're just yeah. stopping behaviors. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking about, um, I listened to this podcast. Um, it's on being with Krista Tippett's. Oh, and yeah. I think this was like back in April that she recorded it. And she was interviewing Richard Rohr, who I love. I love the work that he is doing. And he said in that podcast, I found it to be so um, succinct the way that he said it. And I mean, Richard Rohr is like a a Franciscan monk. Um, He's got a center out in uh, New Mexico. And for years, he was kind of the chaplain at the New Mexico State Penitentiary. So he's done a lot of men work, men's work. And he said in this interview, he said, if men have not wrestled with their issues over powerlessness and vulnerability, they will always abuse power. Mm. And I just, you know, I thought about that because it was said so succinctly and so like, in all the years I've worked with men, this is what I know. This is what I've seen. And it was so matter-of-factly, right? And I remember at the time listening to that and thinking, I absolutely believe that. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with a lot of men over the years. But there was also a part of me that said, I can never say that. Mm. I will always have to quote that Richard Rohr said that, right? I, I will always mm-hmm. have to defer to a male and say, well, this man said this, because as a female, I can be dismissed if I say that, even if I said it as succinctly and as matter-of-factly as Richard Rohr did. Mm -hmm. Me being a female, the men will push away against that. Yeah, yeah, and you've you've talked, in in the time I've known you, you've talked about a lot of areas where you felt that um, if it's just coming from me, it's not as valid. I know you don't believe that, right? Um, but I've definitely seen that be the experience out in, in the professional world. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that like the question came up for me as you were, you were talking about that. Can we actually have 
real recovery and can we have recovery that that goes and repairs some of those soul wounds if we're still in a position where we abuse other people yeah um and you know again like we've been talking about with men uh power is inherent with men in our society mm-hmm. um i mean you can even look at some some segments of society if there's not an adult male around you defer to the next oldest male which may be you know 10 years old 12 years right. old Right. Forget um, the 40-year-old female will go with the next male who's right. a age younger than her. Right. Um, and, and so I think it becomes part of our, uh, our responsibility to the culture that we live in. If, if we have the potential to be abusive, we need to know what that potential is, even though that's painful to look at. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of uh, somebody that we worked with a while ago who likes to think of himself as very enlightened and very informed. And I think he was really well read and, you know, exposed himself to a lot of ideas. But one of the hardest things for him to grapple is when he'd get feedback from his spouse who would say, you know, that was kind of sexist, what you just said, Mm. or um, that felt sexist to me, what you just did. That was so hard for him to look at and see because he wanted to have a different picture of himself. Uh Um, He he wanted uh, to not have that potential for abuse or that potential for harm, but he did. Right. And that's where I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, until we start to wrestle with and say, of course you did, right? Of course, some things that you say are going to be sexist. And that's not because you're a horrible sexist man. It's like, let's look at the society in which you grow up in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how the can, water. yeah, the water, how can we grow up in this society and not, have sexist attitudes, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're breathing that air. We're swimming in that water. That water's getting into, you know, our, our whole being. So I have to recognize, and, and when, you know, somebody says something to me, I mean, I find this as a white person, when a person of color says to me, I feel like that's racist. I have to say, tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Because I don't get to judge what's mm-hmm. racist or not because I'm white, right? So I don't get to say, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. I, get, I get to say, help me understand that because again, I don't know that. Again, it's that accepting influence dynamic. Uh-huh. Um, having never been in a position of that uh, disempowerment, if you're telling me that you're disempowered because of something that I'm doing, you would be the one who would know. Right. Um, I, I would have no clue about that. Right. And, um, and sometimes I, I find that, you know, I've had friends of color who have taught me sometimes like, you know, who have said to me, Jackie, sometimes I don't want to explain to you why it's racist. Mm-hmm. Like, because I said it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, right? Because sometimes they felt like they were in this position of having to prove to me mm-hmm. as a white person why that would be racist, right? And so it, it was just this like, if you're my friend and if you're my ally, then you believe me, right? And, and I don't think that that's what I was, I wasn't trying to say like, oh, prove it to me. But yeah. I can see how it could feel that way mm-hmm. that I was saying, explain that to me, right? As though I had to agree with them in order for it to be true. Especially if that's been the history around racism or sexism is that, well, you have to convince me of that before I'll consider that. Right. Not, I'm going to check my privilege and I'm going to come from my place of empowerment and I'm going to 
let myself experience something that's not that's not within my experience it's this uh-huh. really defended place um I think there's way more to talk about here than we have time for today. Yeah. And I, I would like to put out a call to our listeners. Um, email us uh, yeah. your, not just your questions about sexism, but some of your experiences with that men right. and women. Because um, I think the conversation has to continue. Otherwise it bubbles up. We see it. It makes us uncomfortable and we let it go away. Mm-hmm. And so even if you listen to this and you hated all 25 minutes of this, uh, we want to hear from you. Right. Um, because I think that's a, I think that's a valid experience in this conversation too. Yeah. Anytime we are confronting something um, that uh, is really inborn and is, I don't think it's anything that anybody in our society asked for. Right. Um, it's the way that it's set up. And so, you know, there's going to be feelings on, on both sides. Some people may feel relief that we have this conversation, but some people may feel really offended that we have this conversation. Um, I think the recovery principle here is that there's room for everybody and we can talk about it. Right. And just because it's a difficult conversation doesn't mean we don't have it. That, Absolutely. That we have the conversation. We keep having it. Even if we don't agree on things, it's still worthy of having the conversation. So you can, uh, you can send us your thoughts uh, through our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com, or you can email them directly to us at thanksforsharingpodcast at gmail.com. At the end of this episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Path Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to, re- to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.